I'm Darian Slayton Fleming, and thank you for joining me on Get What You Need and Feel Good About It. Do you find it difficult to ask for what you need? Do you frequently feel misunderstood? Do you have a problem or cause that you would like to learn to manage more effectively? What makes it so hard for us to tell each other how we feel? And how do we speak up for ourselves so we get what we need and feel good about it? How do we do this respectfully so that we honor the needs and feelings of others? Together, we'll explore tips, strategies, and resources that when used mindfully and consistently will improve our results and enrich our relationships. Welcome back to Get What You Need and Feel Good About It. I'm Darian Slayton Fleming, and this is episode eight of this podcast. Today, I'm interviewing Karina Kummer, who is a woman with a visual impairment, and she's also an entrepreneur, and she opened her own bakery in 2017. Thank you for joining me, Karina. Welcome. Sure. Thanks for having me. Tell us a little bit about your dream of opening your own bakery and what inspired that. And will you tell us the name of your bakery too? Yeah. So my bakery is easy to remember. It's just my name. So Karina's Bakery. Um, and I've always been into baking. In fact, if you talk to like elementary teachers and stuff like that, people I knew back then, I was telling people I'd open a bakery when I was five or something like that. Um, because I, I had to kind of have that courage, um, to keep me going sometimes. And I'm part of an entrepreneurial family, both sides of the family have or had family businesses. And um, both of my grandfathers emigrated from Sweden and Ireland, respectively. And um, they had a lot of challenges to face and a lot of health issues and all of that, but they overcame it and became, uh, you know, well-respected people in the community. And so when I was diagnosed with a brain tumor as an infant, I was kind of already born a fighter. And so um, they were able to get most of it, but I did uh, lose all my vision in my left eye and uh, have tunnel vision in my right eye and some other health challenges that can make it, you know, hard on a daily basis. But I'm able to, you know, get around, live independently, of course, and now run my own business. And baking has always been a way for me to for all of the stress from social challenges and from my health challenges into something I can do with my hands that I can share with others and sneak a little bit for myself because um, I was always on diets and such as a kid too. And it was also a way to connect back to my family roots. Um, my grandfather on my mom's side, who was Swedish, really loved food and loved to share his passion for it. And so uh, he taught me that and told stories about Sweden in the process. So I got to learn from him and from my mom who loved to bake, um, cardamom bread and, uh, pepper cooker cookies and traditional Swedish cookies. 
as well as, you know, desserts. And so I really found a passion for that and soon developed my own creative recipes and went out on a tricycle to raise money for cancer patients uh, for a hospital that I'd been treated at when I was seven. And it just helped get get me through all of the life challenges. And so whenever I thought about my career, baking was it. And I wanted to have my own name for myself. And so bakery was definitely my dream. Why your own bakery and not working for someone else? Tell us a little bit about that. You You mentioned it in your bio. Yeah, so I definitely tried that, um, I, and I tried to see if I could go with maybe a, a route that would be better on my overall health and give me maybe a less stressful, more prosperous life, I guess. Um, but uh, I, I went to pastry school, which as soon as I heard about it, I knew I wanted to go, and they had an early enrollment program, so got me out of high school early. I mean, I was a good student, but everything else about high school I hated. So I was like, okay, yeah, I'm going. And so I went to Johnson and Wales, which was uh, in Rhode Island, a couple hours away from where I grew up in Connecticut. And while the experience was definitely what I needed and, you know, everything I expected it to be, it was also very rigorous and very cutthroat. They they didn't give me any extra time on things, uh, at least, you know, not in the kitchen. On a written exam, maybe. I still was expected to decorate cakes and do sugar sculptures and all of the other things. And, of course, clean up and got made fun of a lot for, you know, not knowing quite what to do because everybody's running around me. I did that. I did several free internships. And I did well enough in school and in the internships, but nobody was willing to give me a chance at a paying job until I'd done, yeah, three or four of them. And then finally, I got a prep job at a vegan bakery, and that opened up new light for me as well uh, in terms of the vegan world and what was possible there. And people were very nice there, but the person I had to directly work with um, wasn't my boss or anything, just a coworker, but definitely could tell that she wasn't happy with me. And, you know, going to work with her every day wasn't the most pleasant. And I wasn't sure where I'd get to from this prep job. And so uh, when I had the opportunity to go to grad school and um, also had visited Oregon and found my love there, I found like I I felt at home. And uh, so that all came together into me going to grad school at Willamette University for business administration and entrepreneurship, uh, as well as some nonprofit work. And at first, I felt a little bit out of place because I'm, I have a food background, and that's what I wanted to go into in the end was some sort of food management role. But I found lots of little bits and pieces that helped and got to talk to other successful entrepreneurs in the process and learn their journey, as well as explore how a business can have a social enterprise or nonprofit aspect to it without being a nonprofit. And that really paved the way for me, as well as working with Ike Box or Isaac's Room, uh, which is a nonprofit in Salem. And they uh, help you know at-risk youth with mentoring and boot camps and things like that. And they also have a coffee shop. And so I got to create a baking program for them for a little while. And that really developed my leadership skills and gave me that insight into what they do. 
so that when I got out of grad school and, and couldn't find a job, uh, I looked for, I think, the better part of a year. And things would go really well in the interview. And then I pull out my cane and never heard from them again. Um, <laughs> and so uh, in the meantime, I was, you know, dabbling at farmer's markets and working out of um, commercial kitchen you know, commissary, which was its own bad experience. And, uh, you know, bootstrapping my business until I tried a bunch of things and finally uh, got my family support to open the place of my dreams. When you realized that you wanted to open your own bakery and the road to working some for someone else became so seemingly insurmountable, you decided to ask for help from your family and they believed in you, didn't they? Yep. What is something they said to you, if anything, that cemented your determination to open that bakery and made you feel like you had their support? They recognized, basically, as soon as I went off to college and got to explore a city by myself, I was already showing that I wanted to be uh, my own person that wanted to not have to rely on someone else to drive me around and to be able to use buses and go explore places. And so they took the leap and, you know, as soon as I did an internship out in Portland here, I, uh, I was a changed person. I saw, you know, not only how good the transportation is, um, and reliable, but also the foodie city, um, and the, the slightly slower pace of life than New England cities are. Um, and also slightly more accepting and more diverse than New England is. And while it didn't help me in the job market, I still feel that I'm the most at home here. And so, you know, they they gave me the support that I needed to go to grad school and to stay here. And so they've always figured out how to make it happen. And continue to do so. They're here helping me for the holiday season now. Cool. Often. So, you know, it's becoming more challenging, but uh, they're still here. And um, we're, we're always changing something up uh, in the bakery to make it work better. And so they talk me through that. So they're always there to listen when I, you know, want to talk and um, support me in whatever I do. Well, they helped find ways to do it, but I have a feeling that you also are pretty creative and you know what works for you. And sometimes we just need a little bit of validation and support to try something we know will work for us. I was interested in having you talk about the Swedish traditions in baking that you mentioned in your bio that you got connected with your the Swedish traditions. What about that do you love and incorporate? Yeah, so that's something I didn't, um, I mean, I always, you know, loved my family and the stories, like I said, um, but I didn't really realize, as, as people often do, you know, how much. Uh, until my grandfather passed away, um, which was over a decade ago now, and I could no longer hear those stories. And my grandmother, quickly her health went downhill, and 
um, you know, she, she couldn't connect with me in the same way. And so the only way I had to bring that back was through my family's recipes um, and the things that he loved and traditions that we follow, such as, you know, making, we usually make cardamom buns on uh, St. Lucia Day instead of saffron buns, which are more traditional. But knowing those traditions and what it meant to him and being able to research a little bit more into Swedish food. Um, so, you know, it starts off with very rudimentary ingredients because at least in older times, you couldn't grow a whole lot in Sweden. So, you know, you had the basic grains, lots of dairy, lots of meat. And then as the spice trade started up, they really became uh, lovers of spices like cardamom and other exotic spices. And so they worked those in to spice up the otherwise basic you know, breads and sweet rolls and homey warming dishes. And I became vegan in 2010 or 11 uh, when I was in pastry school and learned about factory farming. Combined that with all the, you know, diets and stuff I had been on as a kid. I was like, I'm going to try this for myself and see if it works. And it didn't quite do what I wanted, uh, you know, right away, but I became attracted to all the other aspects of veganism, the environment and the love for animals. And so I love to figure out how to make my family's recipes vegan and make it taste just as good, which is something people are still amazed by today. Um, they at first don't want to try a vegan product and then uh, because they think it's going to be dense or they've had a bad experience. And then they're just amazed when they try one of my things. Um, and same goes for gluten-free, which I make a lot of as well. And so, you know, learning more about how all of this got to Scandinavia and how, uh, you know, the rudimentary farmers evolved into, you know, a more diverse economy now. And I actually got to go to Sweden for the first time uh, a little over a year ago and connect all those pieces. And they have lots of different cuisines that they enjoy, of course, and they love to absorb all the world, um, including wine. They get wine from the Willamette Valley. Who knew? But learning how they made something out of nothing and made it taste delicious um, and look cool at the same time has really connected the pieces for my bakery and I, there's also a, a Scandinavian community around here that I didn't know about at first, um, but a lot of people in the Northwest have ancestors from Scandinavia uh, that came over in, in the 1900s. And so they're still connected to and celebrate that heritage. And so it's really great to see them come into my shop and be able to give them a little piece of that, even though you know quite a bit of our stuff is Americanized. So to suit that audience as well, but we have our cardamom buns and our lingonberry items and smorgas, which are open face sandwiches so that you can, uh, again, take rudimentary ingredients, but you can make it look pretty and have some different layers of flavor. And uh, in the old times, it was so you could have a you know a piece of hardtack or something like that become your plate that you could carry around the farm or factory or what have you. But now we make a edible piece of art from it almost a metaphor for your life too <laughs> you taking what you can and putting it together and it's a recipe for empowerment yeah I like that tell us about a challenge that you've experienced 
as you've made this business become a reality for you? I'd say the biggest challenge is, is access. It's not like I can hop in a car and go grab something I need. I need to either get someone to get it for me or pay Instacart to get it for me. Or, uh, you know, I do try to get most of my um, supplies and inventory from uh, distributors that deliver already, but you know, that they only deliver once a week. And so you need things in an emergency. And so that's, always a juggling act figuring that out and relying on other people to do things for you that you wish you didn't have to um and you know I'm I'm 31 and I when I started the bakery I was only 25 uh, when I opened the doors I should say the actual concept started before that and so um you know sometimes I don't feel like the, the boss as much as I should because uh, I do have some older employees and so that's a challenge too, to um, have the trust that you need without isolating employees. Like I, I want to treat my employees, of course, with the respect and, and friendship sort of that I would like in a boss. And so it's juggling that um, while being firm enough and making yourself feel believable. So a lot of different challenges. Tell me about it time when someone discouraged you and how you handled that well before I started the bakery I would uh, when I was in grad school I had to do a lot of informational interviews and of course I wanted to find out you know a little more about what small bakeries were like and so I interviewed um, a bread baker down there and, you know, he'd been in business a long time. And so, of course, had a, you know, a lot of stories to tell, a lot of hardships. And he was basically like, you, you know, you shouldn't open a, a bakery. I don't think you can do it. Uh, I don't remember exactly what he said. He was pretty gruff about it and to the point that my mentor from back then still remembers it, too. And it didn't really stop me too much. I mean, it made me think about, OK, you know, how am I going to overcome all the obstacles. Um, and certainly there's been many, like I said, and when I open the doors and, you know, inside you expect there to be a line out the door. Well, not if you haven't done enough marketing in advance to show that, you know, you deserve to be here and why these people should come in. And, um, yeah, it was a pretty quiet several weeks until, you know, we got a trickle of customers that really wanted the vegan options that we were offering, there wasn't a lot like it on this side of town. And then, you know, on the kind of internal side, there's always debates with some employees about how we should do things. And, you know, we can make things easier on some people by, you know, for example, having a more normal display case that's straight shelves all the way across. And then, you know, employees are just reaching in to that one column and grabbing things and not reaching over things. Mm. And that's a little bit more accessible for some people, but also makes us have to, like, put everything in its own, like, it, it boxes us in a little bit and doesn't make it as pleasing to the eye. And so certain things like that have to balance accessibility with the vision I have for the business. Um, 
And that's always, you know, part of my, my uh, goal as a business is to hire people with disabilities and to help break down the barriers. But I only have, you know, we're an 800 square foot bakery. We don't have, you know, everything I would like. You know, probably not particularly wheelchair accessible. And so, and certain employees just haven't found their fit. And so you have to get a little bit of a backbone and say, okay, now's not the right time and place for you, for me to be able to help the way that I like. But, you know, person B, yes, I, I think, you know, it's going to take you a little bit of time. You might be on board for a little bit, but we've got a lot of um, skills and tasks we can get you on that you'll be happy doing. Um, so always a balancing act. So the way you overcome it is by being compassionate, mm-hmm. by doing some creative brainstorming. And and sometimes we have to get, you know, small things for them. Uh, you know, over the years we've gotten some different chairs um, that rotate in and out. Or, you know, we have talking scales for people who need that, including mm-hmm. sometimes myself if I'm really tired. Um, we have some buttons with, uh, tactile dots on them, but more, it's more in the, the way that we go about the scheduling for them. So do they need mm-hmm. more burn? And then, you know, that's a little bit of a challenge on my end, making sure it's still, uh, economically balanced, but, uh, or do they need a different mat to stand on or some different cues for where to put things or layout so they can study at home so that they're, they are more efficient. So do you ever have to ask for help with what you're doing? Yeah, I'm, you know, I'm not the, the best person to ask for help. I do, I'm in, independent to a, a, you know, point and I don't, you know, very quiet, but I, I have developed more of a ability to do that. Um, and I'm trying to delegate, delegate some more of the, you know, everyday business tasks like scheduling and such to my manager so that I can hopefully do more of the employee development and recipe development to continue to make things better and to grow the business. And I'm also recently partnered with another disabled business owner, uh, Katie of Dazzle Desserts, who's very early on in her business journey, but if things go right for her, is it's going to take off fast. And um, so, you know, we share resources, we order things for each other, we go to events together, um, and we have mutual connections that we can share. Um, and hopefully, if one of the other of our businesses takes off, we can license from the other. Um, and want to create a network of disabled business owners so that we can um, make it easier for us to find the resources and grants and all those that things that we need while also training employees and future entrepreneurs to work on our businesses. So it sounds like your approach to asking for help is really learning how to delegate responsibilities and tasks, figuring out whose gifts are what and mm-hmm. and delegating those tasks accordingly and also networking with other people so you can 
give and take on the support that you need. What makes you continue to be determined to keep doing this? How do you do that? <laughs> it's uh, definitely hard, you know, uh, it, for for food businesses these days, it's hard to um, break a profit and keep up with the rising costs. Um, you know, I got pretty close right before the pandemic. I was um, on, on set to, you know, break a pretty good profit. Yeah, right as pandemic pandemic was starting. And since then, it's been a struggle. And so it, it can be hard, but I, I still at my core, I love baking. I don't always love, you know, making something for the thousandth time, but <laughs> I love the reaction I get in people when they, you know, see how good it can be or when I suit all our different allergy needs. And I, I especially love creating something new. And then also in the employees I'm able to help, especially my long, long time employees. I have someone who's worked for me for five years and she has some kind of learning mental disability and um, definitely sees things in a unique light, but she loves dishes. In fact, she um, will fight you on who's going to do them <laughs> and we'll do, you know, other cleaning paths and boxes and scoop cookies and she helps customers too and greets you with a big hello and is enthusiastic about coming to work and usually if I ask her to come in another time she's not scheduled unless her family has something else to say she's willing to come in and so I want to be able to you know teach her new things and to be able to do that and uh, see her happy is um, yeah a big part of uh all of it for me and you know i have an employee who now has a job at apple and before that he you know he was just washing for me and before that he would then looking for i think a year and a half for a job and he has all sorts of talents i mean tech is what he wants to do but he's uh he's taught people on uh, adaptive technology before he can handle like um small tools and fix things so uh to be able to be that stepping stone for him was really cool so, so it sounds like the determination is fueled by your successes and your yeah. ability to be flexible and figure out the various skills that people bring to the table and mix and match that so what have you learned from this experience I've I've learned, you know, I need to have certainly guidelines in place for myself as well as for others and to set expectations while also uh, being flexible enough to their needs and that, you know, we have to do things a little bit differently. Uh, I found that in general, the usual like job posting websites, for example, uh, don't really work for um, who we are and how small of a business we are. Um, but going through the networks of different agencies uh, for disabilities usually does work. It just might take a little bit of time and trial and error. And that, you know, I need to stick to my background of the home style, vegan. Um, we also try to feature organ ingredients, which has been important, you know, different 
local suppliers like Camus Country Mill for flour and Sisters Coffee and really celebrating those brings people in as well uh, to make the whole community feel valued. And that is what really kept us alive during the pandemic um, because people wanted to see us keep going because of, you know, say a disabled relative they had that they had hoped that they could find a job with us or somewhere similar. And that, you know, if we do it right, we can be a role model for others. So do you have any parting words for listeners that might be looking for some encouragement to pursue their dream? Yeah. Um, I mean, life's a challenge no matter what, uh, especially for those both with disabilities, but we all have talents to share. And if you can find the energy to pour it into something that can help others overcome their challenges, I think you'll find more enjoyment for yourself and you'll have a purpose to pour that frustration into. And there are resources for opening businesses out there from the SBA and from disability organizations. Or in the case of opening my storefront, I was able to get grants from the city for the um, build out of my space. And so, you know, look into all the resources that you can do your research, especially, like I said, I should have done more upfront marketing instead of worrying about how the build out was going and whether we were on track for the timeline I wanted. So know who you're targeting or what, if you're looking for a job, you know, what your purpose is and go at it with purpose and rigor. I look forward to finding out if you get any new people as a result or any new customers as a result of this interview. And thank you for meeting with me today. And I'm really excited always about people who have disabilities being able to start our own businesses because we know we can do what we do. For sure. Wonderful holiday season, Karina. Thank you. You too. In closing, I want to share this quote that Karina Kummer shared with us. We all have something in us that makes us unique, be it a disability, a visual flaw, a personality quirk. We go about our life in different ways and fight various levels of pain. People with disabilities just happen to deal with a little more and wake up with it every day. Instead of feeling sorry for ourselves, we should use that innovation to impact our works, to show the ability in disability. Thank you for joining me. Stay tuned for another episode in December. Thank you for joining me today on Get What You Need and Feel Good About It. Remember, when you speak up for yourself assertively, you will get what you need and feel good about it. You will also be showing respect for yourself and for the other people in your life who are important to you. Until next time, try thinking about it like Stephanie Lahart says it. 
passion is old. Say what you mean, mean what you say, but don't say it mean. Before it gets